Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with business leaders, entrepreneurs, and company founders who are doing amazing things in their industry. Hello, hello, and welcome to a new episode of Upfront. I'm Derek Beer, and I'm so glad you're here with us again. Our guest on the show is an Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist and is celebrated as one of Connecticut's most influential figures. We're talking about Dennis House. Dennis spent 28 years at WFSB co-anchoring the news, and he's now a co-anchor at WTNH. When you work in the news this long, you see a lot, but Dennis has seen and has been a part of it all. This includes interviewing Ronald Reagan, mobsters, attending the funeral of Pope John Paul II, being there for the O.J. Simpson trial, a presidential inauguration, along with walking through wildfires, hurricanes, blizzards, and floods. Dennis's work over the years has led to many changes in Connecticut government and campaigns, and his interviews have been picked up by local and national media organizations, including the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Politico, MSNBC, and others. His rise to the top seemed unstoppable until the death of his co-anchor Denise DeCenzo at WFSB shook him to his core. In fact, it was one of the most difficult things he's ever had to break as a news story. This, followed by being let go from WFSB during COVID, had Dennis wondering what's next. But he's a man with a plan. We talk about this and how he overcame adversity, what it was like growing up in a small town outside of Boston, how he always wanted to be in the news, and so much more on this episode. Let's get up front with Dennis House. Dennis House, welcome to Upfront. Derek, it is a great honor to be here, and thanks for having me. It's a it's an honor for me to have you on here because uh, I've seen you on TV a million times, you know. <laughs> so it, it, it's like watching one of my uh, television news heroes or, or, or talking to one of my television news hero heroes. So before we get to all the amazing things that you are doing today, I d- I do want to go back in time. And learn a bit about the choices that you've made, the you know the values that were instilled in you, and all the other life events that got to got you to where you are now. Um, so we're gonna go way back in time. Um, okay, wh- where did you grow up? So I grew up in Norwood, Massachusetts, which is a small town about twelve miles south of Boston, and my mother was from. Norwood. That's where she grew up. And her father was there, her parents and her great grandparents. So I was a fourth generation Norwoodite, mm. the descendant of Italian immigrants who okay. came to America probably around 1904. And they went to this, uh, the north end of Boston and ended up in this little town called Norwood. It's a great little place, has a nice town center, train service into the city. And I really, Still enjoy going back to see it, even though my family's all gone from there. And it was just an amazing place to grow up. Yeah. I was going to say, how, how would you describe life there? Just uh, small town values or? Um, small you know. town values. Everybody knew each other at the time. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, we had a lot of relatives in town. And my mother had a lot of her friends that dated back to kindergarten. So everywhere you went, you knew somebody who, who knew my mother or my grandfather, or my grandparents. So that was kind of cool. And we really had a sense of um, community there. I'd have to, if people ask what it's like, it's sort of a cross between maybe like a West Hartford Center and a Newington. Mm. You know, very, you know, middle class, but nice little town center, had a highway that ran through Route 1, which is called called the Auto Mile, which sells every car brand possible. But then if you <laughs> went in like a little bit to the town, it had this amazing town center, beautiful historic buildings. In fact, I just, Karen and I went there recently and we had breakfast at this 
diner that's been there for decades, right? And mm. across the way, right across the street, in this one picture, we, we have this old historic city town hall where my grandfather used to work, the church where my parents were married and everyone had their funerals and I was baptized and confirmed. And then right around the corner, there's a bowling alley that's been there since like the 1930s and another restaurant that's been there since the 1920s. It's just, it's kind of a cool little throwback. So that's what I like about it. Yeah, it's like stepping back in time to those, you know, a simpler life, perhaps, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Even though you're 12 miles from a major city, you know, it's 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 a different world. Did you did you sneak on that train as a kid and go into Boston? I did. So in the 1970s and 80s, when I grew up, there were a lot of families that left Boston for the suburbs. Yeah. So I had a couple of friends who grew up in the city, some of the neighborhoods like West Roxbury and Jamaica Plain, and one of my friends who was they, they were much more street savvy than I was. <laughs> and uh, I'd been on the train with my parents, but never by myself. And I remember once, I think I was in seventh grade, and one of my friends and I, he took me to the city on the train. I'm like, well, what are our parents going to say? And we just did it, you know? And we went into the city <laughs> on the train and through the MBTA and the subway and all that. So that was kind of cool. And everything was fine, obviously, but because um, I'm here today. But it was um, it, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. No, no cell phones to check in on where you were. Right. It was like, you know, kids were out. Yeah, that's, and <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. You know, we didn't know. And uh, it, it's almost a cliche that you would leave in the morning during the summertime and come home when the streetlights came on yep. for dinner and nobody worried. And it's just that's the way life was. And, you know, now my kids have these phones where they can monitor where everybody is at every moment. Yeah. Uh, they can <laughs> communicate. They can order stuff. You know, you never have to leave your home. And it's it's like. I don't think that's a good thing. I, I, I like the, the the old ways when we used to actually get on our bikes and ride and get a Slurpee or something like that or an ice cream or go into the center, into downtown or uptown. Well, we called it uptown for whatever reason. It's called uptown. I guess you were going up. Up, I guess you were up going to up, Boston. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. And um, did you have any, do you have any brothers or sisters? Yes, I have one brother. And, um, I have a uh, mom and a dad. My mom is still with us. My dad passed away a few years ago and let's see my grandparents. Uh, I knew all, I knew three of the four of them. Um, one of my grandparents, my mother's father was sort of killed in a, he, well, he was killed in a, in a very freak accident when he was only 38, he was stung to death by yellow jacket hornets. Oh, and it no. was, the, it was the big news in Norwood back in the 1950s this is before i was born yeah and but it kind of shaped us in many ways because my mother of course worries about everything because of that and anytime we had like a like a bee on the property we had experts coming in to remove it because <laughs> she just never knew <laughs> yeah, and um last summer we had a hornet's nest and i usually pay to have an expert come get rid of yellow jacket nests because they are kind of nasty but last year i spotted one and you know, it's like $300 to get them to get rid of it. So it's kind of an, a pricey thing. So I said, you know, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to be brave. And I bundled myself up in heavy clothes and all that. I, I had the long, I had two cans of the spray and I went when it was dark when the, you know, they say when they're all in there mm-hmm. and I just completely foamed the thing up and uh, the next morning they were gone. So that was kind of a personal victory for me that I got over my fear of them. I still have a fear. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, we we were eating outside yesterday and a couple of yellow jackets kept coming over, you know, it's that time of year. And I was like, you know, everybody at the table starts dancing around trying to get away from these things. So. Well, they're, they're awful. And they're nasty. in my grandfather's case, he, he stepped in the nest accidentally and um, they just swarmed all over him. And maybe in today's day and age, he might've survived. But um, if you have an allergic reaction, they can be really, really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's awful. Um, what did your parents do for work? So my mom was a realtor. Actually, just retired a year ago at the age of eighty-one. Wow, and, God bless her. Uh, she worked in a in an office where a lot of the people were even a few older than her. Um, but she had a lot of repeat clients. They would basically, you know, she recently sold a, a place last year to I think the grandson of one of her original clients. So they would come back. And my dad was an engineer for Raytheon. And when, when I was a kid, he worked on missiles and things like that. And hmm. then he later worked on radar systems. Um, and uh, Raytheon, that's where my parents met probably back in 19, or early 1960s. 
looking back, or e even to today, what, what kind of values did your parents instill in you that you still carry with you today? Well, I think always it was work hard, enjoy what you do, and treat others kindly. Uh, that was one of those things. If, uh, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it. That type mm. of upbringing and, and that kind of... Um, that still sticks me with me today. Those lessons are still, um, you know, remain with me. Loyal, you know, both of, uh, uh, particularly my mother, because we grew up in the same town. Um, she's very loyal friendships that she's had to this day. In fact, my mom lives in Florida now, but she came up recently and she's 82. And she got together with um, two of her friends that they've been friends since uh, kindergarten or first grade. Wow. That's, so, so that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother had those kind of friendships as well. You know, just, oh, we've been friends since six, you know, since we were six years old. And yes, like, exactly. You know, and, and I, uh, I, I think that's so cool because I, you know, I think I don't have anybody I'm still friends with from when I was six. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and well, I'm, so I am friends with one of my friends from kindergarten and first and uh, second grade. We had lost touch in between for a while, but, uh, you know, but we're friends today. And uh, um, so, yeah, nice. <laughs> it is kind of cool. Okay. So your, your dad's an engineer. Um, your mom's a realtor. Um, what about you? What, what were your childhood aspirations? Like, you know, like the cliche, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I kind of always liked TV news, Derek. And I remember as a kid watching news coverage. Um, I was a paper boy, which is a, job that probably doesn't exist anymore so for your younger listeners i can say <laughs> that you would get you would wake up early in the morning mm -hmm. and a, a truck would have dropped off bundles of newspapers wrapped in twine and you would put them on this big bag you, you you'd put them in this bag that went around your neck and you would drive around in your bike or walk around and you would deliver people's morning newspapers and um, so I did that. My brother and I had a paper route and we expanded it and turned it into a pretty good business, as I recall. And uh, but I remember as I would walk the route um, or um, or up the walk, you know, the walkways, the sidewalks, front walks of people's houses, I would read the front pages. And so that was really influential to me. My parents were big newspaper readers. We got the Boston Globe and the Boston Record American, which is now the Boston Herald at home. Mm -hmm. And then we got an afternoon newspaper as well. And this is the way people got all the news, all the local yep. news. We also got the Norwood Times, just a great little paper. And so I, I really developed a strong interest in news from my parents and from those publications and watching the, you know, the news. Yep. So when I went out to college, I knew that's what I wanted to do was to be a news anchor. I thought that would be really, really cool. But it, it, at the time, it seemed kind of unattainable because... It was, you know, nowadays there are a thousand channels on TV and all these news channels and things online and all that. But back in the day, you know, you had three news stations. You had CBS, ABC and NBC and the local affiliates of them. And so that was it. Yeah. Um, and, and the jobs were, um, were, were really difficult to get. So I, I, was, I was kind of, uh, you know, afraid that I wouldn't be able to make it mm. at first. That's amazing that the, the paper route influenced you that way. My my brother and I also had a paper route. We we were uh, um, paper boys for the Hartford Current. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. And I'll never forget the route. We had like eight eight customers during the week, and then we had something like thirty for Saturday, and then oh, wow. Sunday papers w was close to a hundred. So Sunday oh, wow. was. Sunday was the big delivery, right? Everybody wanted yeah. the, sun, the Sunday current sure. back in the day. And I could just remember getting that, you know, the delivery of the papers in the morning at the house, all wrapped in twine, yeah. go through them, count them. And then, you know, it's funny, oddly enough, I hated, or I hated, I disliked um, delivering the papers, but I really enjoyed going out collecting. <laughs> <laughs> right and, yes. and tearing off that little stamp right and you know you always had that one customer that would say oh, i'll get you next week and you know and, but i you know for those listening that don't even know you had to actually go get the money from yes. the people for the newspapers it wasn't like they were 
you know, it was a big responsibility, I think, for like, I don't know, I must have been 12, 13 years old. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that was a lot of responsibility. And you had to like count it and give back to the supplier, the delivery yep. person and all that. And uh, you got some good tips. And uh, it was difficult because there were some complaints and some people had dogs and you didn't want to go to their property because the dog might be out or um, or there were no lights or there was no place to put it. That creepy um, house you had to go to, right? Every- yeah, it was all <laughs> sorts of, you know, so anyway. It, the Adventures of a Paper Boy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, it sounds like it could be a good movie. Um, but it's interesting too, because I, you know, um, so, you know, I'm, I'll, you know, because my mom's a realtor, I always read the listings and things like that. And a house yeah. just came, just came on the market um, in my neighborhood of Norwood. And it was uh, Mrs. Sanborn was her name. And she just died last year, like 90 something. And, and so the house and I was reading, it was purchased in 1964 and it looks untouched. I, it looks exactly like I remember delivering the papers too. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. So you, you want to be in TV news. Um, yeah. you, I, I'm assuming you graduate Norwood High School or one of the local schools there, right? No, I went to the Catholic school in town, which actually the next town over in Westwood, Massachusetts. I went to Zavarian Brothers High School. Okay. And um, I, you know, enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I wrote some articles for the school newspaper back in mm. the day. And it was, um, I remember our teacher, our English teacher, Mr. Burke, um, he taught us how to write editorials and how to write news stories and the difference between the two. And I remember I had to, um, I was in high school in the 80s. And so we had to write, three of us were assigned um, endorsements hmm. for, for the candidates, and uh, which was Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and um, uh, Anderson. What was his first name? He was the independent candidate. Oh, it's escaping me now. Hmm. Anyway, he, he was a congressman and um, from Illinois, and he ran as, as third-party candidate. And he siphoned off some votes. But anyway, so I, I was assigned um, Jimmy Carter, and um, which was difficult because um, you know, my parents were, um, I think they were Kennedy, well, they were Kennedy Democrats for most of their lives. And then when Carter came along, you know, there was high inflation and everything was just, you know, the, the hostages were taken. And so a lot of people in my Democratic town had uh, shifted Republican suddenly. And so they were all, um, you know, Reagan even carried Massachusetts that year. So um, I had to write a flowery thing about uh, Jimmy Carter, which was not, <laughs> uh, and, and it was difficult to, you know, so I did the research and all that, but it was difficult to sort of support his administration. I think in 1980, for a lot of people. Uh, so a, that was my first. So I wrote that editorial, I did a few other articles and all that. And then after that, I went to Assumption College in Worcester, which is now Assumption University. Yep. Yep. And um, I was, uh, I majored in, um, Foreign Affairs, mm. um, and I did a little bit of writing on the side for papers, but I, I wasn't really involved in the school newspaper or anything there. And I kind of like, I don't want to say I lost focus. My focus changed a little bit. I sort of thought it'd be really cool to work for an embassy or something like that. So okay. I remember o- over the course of four years there, I mean, I minored in Spanish, but I also took Italian and French. Um, and uh, so I thought it'd be really cool to be a foreign correspondent and um so that's sort of where you know my focus changed a little bit and then when i got out of college um i just kind of wanted a break so i didn't really rush into the whole working thing for a while yeah and i attended bar and i waited tables and spent a summer in the cape and then and, you know after that was all over i moved to florida for a little bit hung out with some friends who were um kind of goofing off after college also and that's when I started to get serious about looking for a job in television. And so I, I came home. I was in Massachusetts, you know, back in Massachusetts, and my parents' friends had a, um, they were gone for the week and they needed a pet sitter. So I sat with them. I brought my, my electric typewriter and I went to the library. I got a list of every TV station in the country because back in the day, there was no internet, right? Right. And so, or I checked out a book on it or something, and I sent out cover letters to stations all over the country looking for any kind of TV job they would take. And then I signed up for some graduate courses at Emerson College in Boston. Mm. <clears throat> I ended up not getting my master's, but I did end up through there getting an internship 
uh, in Providence, WPRI-TV. And that's sort of like the beginning of my television career. Now, so many of us know you from your long time at WFSB and, and, and now at, you know, at WTNH. How did you end up here in Connecticut? So um, my first job, I was an intern in Providence. And then, you know, you start to make connections and experience. Yeah. People tell you what you need to do. And so I got a job behind the scenes working on the assignment desk at WMUR in Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. And I was there for a couple of weeks and my immediate supervisor left. And here I was like right out of college, no experience. And um, I had to do his job for a couple of weeks after that. It was like mm. basically running the whole assignment desk. And, you know, 23, 24, you know, wherever I was. And um, then um, they called me in and they promoted me to assignment manager. I was like, oh my God, wow. And so I did that. And but I still did not lose focus of what I wanted to be a reporter, wanted to be an anchor. So every night after my 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shift, I would go out with reporters and sometimes come in in the weekends and I would go out with them on stories and I would do my own stand-ups, which is in front of a you know the camera with the microphone. And I learned how to do it. And then I put together a tape. You need to have like a resume tape yep. of three stories and uh, some anchoring on there. And I sent that out. Um, to small market. Now I was starting to learn that every market in the country has a number based on population. And of course, salary and advertising is based on that. So the number one market in the country is New York, of course, LA too. Uh, Hartford's like 33. Um, And um, you need to go out to like a Montana or an Illinois or a Florida uh, where the markets are like much smaller. And so I ended up going to Rockford, Illinois, which at the time was market 139. Mm. And I was hired as a weekend anchor. No experience, keep in mind, Derek. And um, <laughs> so I'm out there, uh, sight unseen. And um, I anchored the news that first weekend I was there. I was like, whoa. And I managed to do it. I had to write all my own stuff. And um, I kind of felt badly. I'm like, these poor viewers. I- I'm their news guy, right? Yeah. Like, well, I was just going to say, I was going to say, are you? Are, were you terrified? Were you flying by your seat? Or were you confident in the whole thing? Yeah, I, I was pretty... Um, you know, when I got into the studio and um, and I was all I had a nice tie, shirt, makeup, the whole bit, I was all set to go. I'd written everything. I'd read it like five times. Yeah. And uh, once I was really super nervous. And um, but then after that, I was like, once I started to do it, I was like, and I never looked back. There you and go. so and then I started to do some great stories. I remember I um, one of my, you know, in Rockford. I covered everything from a Madonna concert in Chicago to um, Monday Night Football. I was on the sidelines with the Chicago Bears. I went to crime scenes. I went to fires. I went into factories. And but one of my big stories that, that I'm most proud of was when um, former President Reagan had just left office. And he came to Dixon, Illinois, outside of Rockford, hmm. to help christen the opening of his boyhood home as a museum in Dixon, Illinois. And they told us, the Secret Service said, all right, there's going to be no access to the president. He's going to walk out here. You stay behind the lines. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, I am pretty competitive. So I decided to go to the backyard of the house. So we're going to hang out in the backyard because he's probably going to want to see his childhood backyard. So my photographer and I went back to the backyard. And we just waited there. And sure enough, he came out the back door. He walked right by us. And I asked him some questions. So that was kind of a big exclusive, my exclusive with Ronald Reagan. <laughs> And, oh, uh, that's amazing. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Um, and but I pretty, you know, pretty much did everything in Rockford. And then I went to um, I got a job in Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is market 36. So that was a big jump. It was a big yeah. career jump to go there. Yeah. And um, I was there for about a month and I got called in on my day off. Might have even been less than a month. And I thought to myself, this can't be good. I, I must, because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job there because of the quality was so much better than where I had come from. And they called me and they said, we're going to make you the weekend sports anchor because mm. um, until we hire some. So I became a sportscaster for about uh, three or four months. And uh, it was really difficult because I had to learn all the teams in Michigan and all the players. And oh yeah, uh, but I had. I ended up interviewing a high school kid who had just signed with the New York Yankees named Derek Jeter. Oh, so amazing. Yes, yeah, so that was kind of fun. And, and, you know, at the time, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, right? You know, kids get drafted all the time. And um, and I kind of wish I had saved that story. It's probably in their archives somewhere. But looking back on it, that was pretty cool. 
Mm. And let's see, I did a lot of things there too. I, um, I won some awards. I was in a, uh, a plane over Lake Michigan for the sailboat disaster. And uh, my photographer had never been in a small plane before. And it was windy and this small rickety old plane. Looking back on it, I, wouldn't got, I would not step foot in that plane today. <laughs> but we did. Uh, we got in it and uh, the plane was like all over the place. And he was throwing up in a bag and he handed me the camera. And the station had paid a lot of money for us to go in this plane. So I took the camera. I'd never shot anything before. And I, I shot out the window and we, we got the video we needed. And we ended up winning an award. Um, you know, covered presidential candidates, um, uh, broke some really weird, but cool stories. And, um, one of the stories that I broke in rural Michigan was, you know, we always get crazy tips, Derek, you know, some of them are legit. Some of them are just nonsense, but so this one sounded like nonsense. I got a tip that somebody was burning dogs on their property. Oh, wow. So I, I, we drove out there and, um, as soon as we drove in the property, these scores of dogs just ran toward the car and it smelled awful. And there was a woman there. And, uh, I said, you know, there are reports that, you, that, that, you know, you're not taking care of your dogs and, and they're, they're dying and you're burning them. And she goes, hey, you, you know, um, you know, that the dogs are dying. And I said, what do you do with them after they die? And she said, um, oh, I burn them. And um, there were burn barrels throughout, and it was just so gross. I can't even, the smell, the stench. And, oh, my God. So, so the, the authorities came in, they raided the place, and sh- she was older, and I think she had some mental health issues, and obviously, and the dogs were just breeding out of control, and the, it was the neighbors couldn't stand the smell anymore. So, um, But anyway, so my boss, my future boss in um, Hartford, when I sent the res- you know, resume tape, I had an agent at the time, he, he, for some reason, used to live in Michigan, like that story. And he said that was one of the reasons he hired me was the delicate way I handled it. Wow. So, so I had two offers. I had an offer to go to Cleveland and I had an offer to go to Hartford. And I wanted to go to back to New England. Cleveland was the better job and it paid more. It's a bigger market. Um, but I, um, you know, Hartford at the, t- at the time was market 23. So it wasn't that big of a difference. You know, Connecticut's lost a lot of population over the years. And um, the Whalers were here. The Celtics played four times a year. And so, you know, there were department stores downtown. I mean, I think Connecticut had a more competitive field with Cleveland than it probably does now. Mm. And uh, that was it. And I was hired. And um, um, the old Channel 3 was right downtown. And I remember from my interview, um, I parked and I walked across the old state house. I don't know if you remember, Derek, but the, the guys in colonial attire used to come out and shoot the cannon twice a day. Yep. And I thought that was really cool. I'm like, wow, this is really awesome. And so rest is history. I got hired at Channel 3. We want to learn more about you as a person, the habits, choices, and the things that that you do that make you who you are. Um, So tell me a little bit about your daily routine. Are you an early riser? So, you know, I do the 11 o'clock news, So, but I'm still an early riser. And my okay. routine, generally speaking, is that I will, Kara wakes up first because she goes to work before I do. And then I used to take the kids to school, both of them. But now my daughter has her license. So this year she'll do that and I'll take my son to school. So she's not allowed to drive him. <laughs> so I have to, <laughs> so I have to take, but, but I actually enjoy that time, Derek. I enjoy waking up. So I'll wake up. Um, and, you know, Karen and I will have a short time together in the morning, usually. Yeah. Um, but then uh, I will, you know, wake up and I bring them to uh, to school. And then I come back and Kara's usually gone for work. And so I'll, you know, have a coffee, straighten up the house. I like to go to the gym. Um, I'm on the board of the Mandel JCC. And so I go there uh, daily to work out, mm. uh, to exercise. And... But on the weekends, I have a different routine. So Kara and I will always try to have our time together in the morning. And yep. so we'll have a coffee together, um, preferably outside if we can do it. If it's the summer, you know, we'll sit out in the patio mm-hmm. and we will, um, you know, just sort of chill and catch up and spend some time together. And we also sometimes do uh, meditation together. Mm. And I've really stepped that up recently. Kara d- has done it religiously for years and I, she's re- recently got me into it. And then I interviewed Dan Hurley recently of UConn and he does it every day. And so I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I, so I find it really grounds you for the day. 
Um, I try not to uh, look at news too early in the morning. Um, but even though I don't go into work officially until three, I'm always working during the day between, I got a lot of tips. Yeah. Like, I've, I've worked here a long time. I know a lot of people, people will, you know, tip me off and I never reveal sources about a story, which of course I give back to my team. Um, I don't tell them who it is, but I'll say, listen, we need to do this. And so, so I'm pretty involved in the planning of the afternoon news as best as I can be uh, in terms of adding information or suggesting something. And then, um, you know, like on a weekend, um, Karen and I will spend some time together during the day. We're often running kids around. So sometimes we will go separate ways early in the morning. You take her here. I'll take him there. And we have this game and this practice and this. And, uh, and then we reconvene in the afternoon together. <laughs> um, you know, we'll have some dinner dinner with some friends or some nights we'll just, you know, either cook or order in and stay in. There you um, go. You know, we used to go to the movies a lot more. Now we probably watch them more at home uh, um, because it's a lot easier to do. So the pandemic kind of changed that. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but we do go out and uh, you know, we do a lot of charity events together. So we will, you know, go out and do those things. And um, so, um, you know, love to give back. Um, but in terms of like guiding principles, I think it's kindness, um, be, be loyal. Um, I have a lot of loyal relationships over my years, um, you know, friends that date back decades and contacts that date back decades and things like that. So, see, that goes full circle back to the beginning of our conversation, the values your, your parents put, you know, instilled in you, right? Yeah. Kindness, you know, like loyalty. Loyalty is, is, is something that I really just really value. And, mm. um, I kind of, I don't know if I demand it from other people, but I expect it. Um, and I'm disappointed when I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So you do, a, you, you know, meditation is great. And, you know, I was going to ask, what do you do to disconnect? But, you know, meditation is one of those ways to kind of disconnect from every disconnect to reconnect. Right. Yeah. Um, it's very peaceful. Yeah. On the flip side of that, where, where do you find inspiration? What inspires you? So I think people inspire me. I, I think that gratitude is extremely important in life. Mm. And I, um, you know, I, I'm around during the day. Kara works during the day. So she'll kind of tease me a little bit or make fun of me because I know the people behind the deli counter. And I know the cashier. And I know the woman at the dry cleaners. And I know the <laughs> lady at the gas station. And all these things. And, um, I, I, you know, quite often people will, I, you know, I love meeting viewers. So I really do. So when people come up to me, it doesn't bother me, like, um, you know, to, to hear their story and some people generally need help. And I think that everyone has a struggle you don't know about. Mm. And, you know, I, I happen to know someone that, uh, that I will see at the grocery store all the time who has, uh, an adult son with, um, with disabilities that that's a challenge for, for her every single day. Um, someone else I see at a school regularly lost her daughter in a, in a deadly shooting. Um, you know, there are people who are battling cancer, um, every day. I think it's important to be grateful for what you have. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for all of it. You know, is my life perfect? No. Do we have our problems? Sure. Um, and, but other people probably have it far worse. And so I really believe in giving back. And just taking that time to, you know, to listen. And, you know, one of the moments that I'm most proud of is, um, you know, at, at the at the beginning of the pandemic, um, and they were, a lot of people were collecting unemployment and things like that. Um, the state was overwhelmed, right? And it was really difficult for some people to get their checks and get their money. And these people, many of them were living paycheck to paycheck. And so the fact that I could throw a little, um, I, I, I don't want to use this word, but like, you know, influence and, and make some calls and help people. And, um, and, you know, it was just one of those things that, 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 that summer when, when the pandemic began, I, I did a lot of work, um, a lot of phone calls, a lot of uh, legwork helping people who just, just had trouble getting through the system or just weren't getting answers. Yeah. Now, I'm a big believer. If you, if you can help people, you know, if you could use your, career status influence whatever it is to help people go for it right nothing wrong sure with that. yeah and, and you know there were um you know i'm sure we all noticed there were more people the side of the road uh mm. asking 
for for money and things like that during the pandemic. And so I, you know, I used to go and bunch, you know, buy a whole bunch of like Dunkin' Donut gift cards to give back. And so I, on occasion at the light, I'd see someone I'd hand them. I, I didn't want to give them money because, but I just felt like at least they can get something hot to eat. Okay, so you you know throughout your career you've 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 seen and done it all, um, and but I you know there's a lot of success that that comes along with that. But I want to talk about failure, and so I have a, a question you, you sure. know, that, that might sound a little strange, but what is your favorite failure? And by that I mean something that you know you were so sure about, or or something that blindsided you. It failed, but there was a lesson behind it. And what was that lesson? So I think the most, um, you know, the thing that kind of has shaped me today, I mean, failures, sure. Did I get beaten on stories and things like that? Yeah, that happened. Um, but I get over that and I, um, things like that. But I have to say, and I, I don't want to use the word failure, um, but, um, you know, I had a very difficult year. Um, 2019 through 2020 was extremely difficult. And um, it began in December of 2019 when my co-anchor, Denise Senso died suddenly. Yeah. And that was, she was like my sister. She was, she and I were so close. And um, it wasn't work. We used to say it wasn't work when we were together. And we were on vacation. We'd miss each other, things like that. So it was, and she was very tight with Kara too. Kara was like her soul sister there. And they would, they, you know, they bonded in different ways. But you know, Denise did a reading at my wedding way back. We've been through losses, personal losses. And ups and downs we shared everything and so when she died that was just devastating for me mm. and um that was a difficult day and uh i was um with her husband that day and um and i was with denise after she passed and helped with um you know uh just the funeral home and all that it was just it was it was very difficult and that night i had to i had to tell people about it and then i had to go on the air and announce it Mm. And so that was probably my ch- most challenging moment in television. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, we had a funeral the next week and then um, public memorial and, you know, anyone who's been through sudden loss can say like that next day, I felt, I felt physical pain in my body. Yeah. And um, I, I said to Kara, I was on the couch and I mean, the statistically the odds of having a heart attack the day after Denise had one is, is low, but I, I just felt like so much pain and, but I got through that. And then, um, the, the pandemic came and then sure, shortly thereafter, and, you know, we had to, um, um, we had to, you know, we took furloughs and, um, you know, to help the company and all that. And then, um, out of nowhere, I was fired <laughs> one day. They told me that, mm. you know, the company wasn't doing well. They had to make some changes. And, you know, this was eight months after Denise passed away or something like that. And, um, and I, it was on the day of my anniversary and I, I, I'm, I'm always optimistic. I try to start the day with something cheery and positive. And so that day was my work anniversary. So I went online and I posted, Hey, looking forward to thank you for allowing me to serve you for 28 years. And then a few hours later, they told me that I was out. And so, um, that was really difficult to handle. Um, because I had also, you know, I had bared my soul to people at work. I had helped them with Denise's death. It was a very you know, tender time there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had confided in my bosses who obviously had other plans and that was, that was so looking back at that was, that was, that was, um, as I said, the loyalty thing kind of, um, that was a disappointment for me. And then, but, you know, like I knew, you know, within an hour after the news breaking that I, I was going to be, I mean, I knew I'd be okay anyway, but you know, within the, you know, I got texts from other stations and things like that so it was so i i knew that i'd be working and and i had offers outside the business too some really good things and um you know the governor announced it at a press conference how you know disappointed he was that i was gone and the whole bit but you know i ended up i i didn't have to work for a while um but i uh ended up getting the you know an offer that i really i really wanted to work um for a station that I felt was going places and Rich Graziano, my current general manager and I have been friends before mm-hmm. um, I was dismissed. So um, yeah, so we all worked out and uh, I, I, I have this new, uh, yeah, I felt it sort of a calling to serve the people of Connecticut and bring them the news as best I can. 
it is such a weird saying, like what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger in a way. Right. Or, you know, sometimes there's silver linings and, 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 and bad things that happen. I know so many people who've been like, let go from a job and then they end up somewhere else. And they were like, I don't know why I freaked out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really worked out really well. And, and, you know, I, I, um, you know, I'm blessed to, um, you know, I have two co-anchors at, um, TNA anchor the six o'clock news with Ann Nyberg and the 10 and 11 with Lisa Carberg. And so Lisa and I have been friends since the twenties. Yeah. Able, since our twenties, right? Since your twenties. <laughs> yes. You're not that old. Okay. Since our twenties. Uh, she used to be at NBC and Ann and I have known each other for a long time too. And, mm-hmm. you know, she, you know, Ann is the most experienced news anchor in Connecticut. She's amazing to work with. And, uh, you know, I just, Joe Fury, I do the, um, the, you know, the weather with him. He and I did the morning news together 25, 28 years ago. Yeah. Um, John Pearson's, but I work with just so many great people. It's just so amazing. And, uh, you know, I love my bosses, Chuck and Cole and, uh, Rich, of course. And, um, it's, so it's, it's really has turned out well. And, you know, I've, I've, um, you know, I worked re- I work really hard to get exclusive interviews, Derek. And, um, um, I had worked hard on one for, um, for a few years. And you may remember the story of the, the reputed gangster from Manchester, Robert Gentile, who was involved in that art history, the art heist, they say. Yeah. So he would never talk to me, right? Just like, yeah, I couldn't get an interview with him. They dug up his law and the FBI. It was a big national story. So I, I was at Channel 8. I'd only been there for about two weeks. I get a call saying that he wanted to meet with me. So I went up and I had lunch with him right away. And we did this interview. And so I got this exclusive interview that everybody, including national media, wanted. Two weeks wow. after being a Channel 8, that was good. And, yeah, I broke a couple of big stories. I mean, the University of Hartford downgrading was a massive story that I broke at Channel 8. Um, and, uh, you know, this past May, you know, May ratings are very important. Um, our 6 o'clock news um, at TNH was number one for the first time in 30 years. Wow. So, so yeah, I, I, I feel like I've really helped Channel 8 and they've helped me. And so it's, it's, it's a nice fit. I'm, I'm, it's really working out well. Excellent. And so you've been at this a long time, right? Um, you've, seen, you've seen it all, um, you know, from the, the the backyard Reagan story you shared to the Pope's, yeah. Pope's funeral, 9-11. I mean, every major news event that's happened, you've been you've been a part of it or have covered it um, yes. both, both nationally and locally. And, you know, sometimes news can be really heavy, like the, the, the story of the woman you shared with the dog burning in, you know, in yeah. the backyard and all that. What what keeps you going? Do you ever feel beat down sometimes? Well, I will tell you, the news can be super depressing. And I've covered it, you know, I've covered some pretty heavy, really sad stories from Sandy Hook mm-hmm. to 9-11 to everyday stories. And I just I I've learned some things over the years. I remember once I covered a story in Ansonia. Um, a kid had been killed and he he was an adult. He was probably 22 or something like that. And I, at the time, just didn't want to invade the family's privacy. So I didn't go to their door. And I went to the library back in the day and I got his picture from the yearbook and I used that in the news. And the mom called me the next day and she's like, I wish you'd come over and knock on the door. I, he hated that picture. I would have given you a better one. So I kind of learned from that, that like everyone's got a story to tell. Ask politely once. I mean, don't be invasive. But some people might want to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've gotten to know some of the Sandy Hook parents. Um, I, um, you know, a- other people who've had loss over the years. It, it can, Derek, get very depressing. I mean, Friday, for example, Ann and I were saying that, you know, within the first 10 minutes of the news on Friday night, we had a shootout on I-84 yep. uh, between two people. I mean, kind of losers shoot people on a high. I mean, you could have hit anybody, right? Right. And that was just awful. Um, there was six people. Six people arrested in uh, Meriden for um, stealing cars, burning one. And uh, I believe there was also a sh- you know, shooting there. There was the West Hartford police shooting video that was released. Um, and, and there was a, two people killed another uh, neighbor in Hartford. It was, a, it was a rough week. And so some days you just think to myself, I mean, the, there is some good. I like telling good news stories as well. The Hartford Police Athletic League does amazing work out there, taking kids who, who have uh, who come from struggling homes and, and, and showing them that there's a another path in life. Um, uh, if I can help someone, um, you know, give them some advice or I always like to 
sort of, you know, if, if the interns or someone's moving on to a new job, try to give them a little bit of life advice. And, um, you know, I've sort of embraced my, uh, my position as sort of a senior uh, journalist in the newsroom. And, um, you know, we've got some 20 somethings there. And, you know, I, I enjoy telling them, hey, you know, I'll say, hey, listen, take it from, you know, let me give you a little piece of advice that someone told me 20 years ago that might help you someday. Little things. Mm. Um, but I think I still remember lessons I was taught over the years. Someone comes up to you today and says they want to get into, you know, journalism, TV news. What's your advice to them? Well, I would say, listen, I said, if you, you know, the the business has certainly changed, right? I mean, anyone can put their news out on TikTok and, you know, my kids who are almost 14 and 16 are, um, you know, they don't really get their news from, I try to teach them, you know, watch a news source and get it. But, you know, TikTok's very influential and people throw stuff on there and they'll be like, hey, I saw on TikTok that, um, or saw on Instagram. And so I would tell the young people getting into the business that journalism is still a very noble profession. We still need people out there to hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. And it's important to ask the politicians the tough questions. They work for you, right? Uh, they work for us. We pay them. Taxpayers pay them. So um, there needs to be someone out there to sort of be a watchdog and to make sure that things are being done, you know, legally and ethically and, um, and, and in your best interests. Yeah. So I would tell them, go into the business. Um, it's not what it used to be. I, I, I want to be perfectly honest with young people. I think that the, it doesn't pay as much when you first start out like it used to. Um, and I think you, but I think there are a lot more opportunities than there used to be than when I was starting because nowadays when I was a kid, Derek, when you were a kid too, you know, there's probably like maybe a half hour of news in the morning and then maybe a little half hour at night. Now it's all day stations. So much news. Yeah. 24 hour news cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now having said that there might be more jobs, but there, you might work a little bit harder, right? You know, those White House correspondence. Uh, yeah, I was reading about one recently. You know, they wake up at six a.m. They're on the Today Show at seven, um, and sometimes they're on the evening news at seven. That's a long day. It's a long and day. In between, you might be flying with the president. <laughs> you just don't <laughs> know. So, um, so it, it's 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 not for the faint of heart. If people are thinking like it's going to be like working at a bank, and um, no offense against banks, because some of them are open on weekends now too. But you know the. You might be putting in a lot of hours. You might be shooting your own things. Yeah. And okay, so we've we've given advice to anyone going into news. If you, how about some advice for yourself? If you could go back in time and meet your twenty-one-year-old self, what kind of advice would you give Dennis? Oh, I think I would have done. um, I mean, I I always worked hard, Derek. Mm -hmm. I, I think I would have. Um, taking more notes because, you know, we didn't have email or email chains and things like that. So I think people that maybe I met 30 years ago, I kind of wish I had kept like a journal every day. I, I, I did journal a little bit here and there, but like in terms of keeping something every day and uh, remember, I think, I think it was the first president Bush who said when he was younger, he'd write everyone's name down. So after he met them, so he always remembered. And um, I kind of wish I'd done more of that because I'll be like, I do remember, I have a great memory for stories and things like that. I do remember certain people that come up to me and said, in fact, not too long ago, I was on Pratt Street, Derek, and this guy came up to me and he's like, hey, do you remember me? You interviewed me when I was a kid. And uh, it didn't come to me right away. And then he pulled out a picture he had of me and him back in, uh, you know, he and I back in, um, God, me and my, it's early in the morning, so my grammar, he had a picture of the two of us in, um, uh, the 1990s when he was a kid. And then I remember the story, right? And uh, so he showed me that. He had it on his phone and that was his big, big moment. Um, so so I would say, um, and, you know, I had different priorities when I was 29 and 30, you know? Yeah. But I, but I would have, that's the one thing I kind of wish I had had more notes and things like that. I'm very blessed to work with some amazing people that I'm still friends with this to this day. Um, you know, Gail King was my co-anchor. Uh, Mika Brzezinski. So these are people that, um, you know, I, I I had a very extraordinary early part of my career. Yeah. Okay. Final question. 
Okay. There, there's a podcast I listen to from Guy Raz, who does a show on NPR that I really like. So I'm stealing his question. Um, how much of your success has been pure luck and how much of it is from, you know, your leadership and, and hustle? I, I think it's been a combination of both. I don't know how to break it down percentage wise. I think that um, when I first started out, um, a lot of it was luck and things out of my control. When I first started at Channel 3, um, there were some departures of people. And um, they were just the way things worked out. I suddenly, at one point, I was the only only guy there for a while. And so that's when I ended up being a co-anchor to Denise, Gail, Janet Peckinpah. Um, and so... But a lot of it's hard work, too. I think that um, people know that I will work the extra hours to get the story, uh, make the extra effort to get the story. So um, and I think people know I've never revealed a source. And I think people know that I'll be very sensitive about the way that a story is covered. So I, I, I think that that is the hard work part. And I do think I've worked really hard to get where I am. And sure, is there some luck along the way? Absolutely. Well, listen, Dennis, this has been an inspiring conversation. It's great to get to know more about you and how you got to where you are today. So I just want to thank you for being a part of Upfront. Well, thank you, Derek. This has been an honor to be on this amazing podcast. And uh, I will make sure that I post it all over my social media network so that people will listen. Thanks so much. All right, Derek. And there we have it, my friends. That's Dennis House. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know I learned a thing or two, and I hope you did as well. To find out more about Dennis, please visit dennishouse.tv. And of course, you can catch him on News 8 WTNH. Upfront is brought to you by Mason. Creatively obsessed and fixated on results, Mason leverages technology, entertainment, design, and culture to create bold, fearless ideas. It's time to make your brand more valuable. Challenge accepted. And last but not least, you can get in touch with us here. Send an email to hello at mason23.com. That does it for this one. Until the next time, we'll see you. Take care. Take care.